Cardi B and Candace Owens' Twitter barrage ended with threats of litigation. So much for the thought that banning Trump from Twitter was going to bring an era of Twitter peace. Well, pressure is mounting for Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer to step down and retire. But he's only 82, so he still has options. I mean, I guess he could run for president if he gets bored. That or maybe the HOA. Uh, yeah, he does have options on his plate. And trial by Zoom has brought the courtroom into the operating room. I will unpack all of these stories with our guest host, Amy Francis, today. Now, Mackenzie Smith, our normal co-host, is running to be judge in Pennsylvania. Apparently, spending so much time with me on this podcast has prepared her to run our legal system. I can say that because she's not here to defend herself. So Amy is subbing in in this week's debriefing of the law. Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I have a special guest host today. I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. But first, welcome Amy Francis. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Joel. I'm very excited to be here with you. Now, Amy, I always have to know for the listeners because this is important to me, but where are you now geographically as we are doing this interview? So I am in Tom's River, New Jersey. It's I guess it would be technically considered the Jersey Shore. Okay. So a lot of a lot of fist pumping, you know. <laughs> it's, it's everything you see on the show. So uh, that the show is based where you are right now. Yes, technically yes, in uh, Ocean County, New Jersey. Now I have never seen Jersey Shore. I've heard about it. I've heard rumors. I have my idea of what it's about. But uh, just really quick, what is the show about? I mean, is it about dialect? Is it about? Uh, housewives I, I have no idea so you're doing yourself a disservice by not watching the show it's okay. wildly entertaining it's i i guess it would have to be probably oh my god it's like 10 years old by now but it's about a group of these people who come together who really enjoy fist pumping if you don't if anybody doesn't know what a fist pump is it's when you take you you take your hand you create it into a fist and you you kind of make a punching motion right. toward the sky, right? That is so a... these people enjoy fist pumping, um, fake tanning. So they're a little bit on the orange side, like anywhere from like a Donald Trump shade to like a to a true orange, okay. right? And they also enjoy techno music. Ah. So I, you know, I grew up here. So that is not probably an accurate depiction of what actually occurs at the Jersey Shore, but it is wildly entertaining to watch this so group of individuals. What show is more accurate as far as depicting the typical New Jerseyan? Would it be Jersey Shore or Sopranos? <laughs> um, I want to say Sopranos. Really? I okay. want to say it's that's more at maybe more accurate of Northern New Jersey, but. I don't know. Or, uh, you know, again, I, I think it's a cross between Jersey Shore, Sopranos, and maybe the Real Housewives of New Jersey. Well, you I, mix all that together, and that there you go. I, I love New Jersey. I've been up there a few times um, for gigs out there in, in Atlantic City. Uh, and, and I learned I do not like your all's cops. They It is a bad... You guys had the weirdest laws, because I flew into... <laughs> to uh, Philadelphia and I had to drive out to Atlantic city for a gig. And so I'm driving there and I have my phone out cause it's my GPS. 
and a cop pulls up beside me, sees the phone in my hand, pulls me over because I have my I have my phone in my hands. Now you might know this because you're from New Jersey, but you can't do that. D- did you realize that? No, I did know that. Yeah, and you know I if did you know that. yeah if if you are caught with your phone in your hand in New Jersey, it's not a ticket you can pay. No, you actually have to show up. In court. So I had to fly back from Kansas City to New Jersey, rent a car, get a hotel, show up in court, thousand bucks in, and then pay a $300 fine for having my phone. And I told the person, look, this is my GPS. I was using it as my GPS. They said, we don't care. Put it on the ground. You can't have it in your hand. And so, hey, I learned the hard way, but I do love New Jersey. Uh, And so, uh, Amy, thank you so much for agreeing to be on today. Our normal co-host, Kenzie Smith is actually out for the while. She is running for judge there in Philadelphia or in Pennsylvania. So good luck to Mackenzie. We are rooting for her. Uh, I guess we can say that, uh, even though she is a Democrat, I am a Republican. But still, I, I want her. I want her to win because then I can say I know someone in power. So I'm hoping Mackenzie wins. Now, but thank you so much, Amy, for for joining us. Now, you, as you explained to me, are a matrimonial lawyer, right? Yes. So that that is my very polite way, uh, my very politically correct way of saying I am a divorce attorney. Okay. So I'm super fun. (laughs) Now, I I don't practice in divorce law, but I've heard stories on what it's like. So I'm hoping you can give us some good, juicy details, not of your own clients, but maybe of things you have heard or antics that the other side has done. So any stories that you can uh, give us about the divorce law? I can share quite a few stories, but I think my favorite stories are the things that people have fought over. So if you, I guess if you see memes or you go online, you'll see, you know, I, I, I can't believe I went to law school to fight over, you know, a parrot. <laughs> right. that, have you ever seen the, the yes. meme where they're like, the, you can't, you know, the parties agree that the parrot uh, cannot use disparaging language about <laughs> uh, either party. Those things really happen in divorce law. So when I think back on, I, so I've been practicing four and a half years. So if I think back on just like my craziest cases, right. And the craziest things people have paid me to fight over. So I have, I have a couple of my top, like my favorite hits. Okay. So if you want to hear about yes, that, I the crazy things people have fought over. So the first, the first that makes my, my absolute number one, the crazy thing somebody has paid me to fight over were couch doilies. Couch doilies. And if you don't know what a couch doily is, because most of most people under the age of 90 right, okay. do not know what that is. Because so I'm thinking a, a doily is something that RBG wore around her neck. Is, is that right? Yes. Okay. So kind of. So that's, I mean, that is a classy collar. You know, I'm a huge, huge RBG fan. So, but what I, a couch doily is, is it's like a crocheted um, lace thing that goes over the back of a couch. And these couch doilies had no sentimental value to either party. They weren't like knitted by somebody's great granny on the ship of the, like the Titanic. Right. 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 They, they were just, I, I don't even know. They were probably from pottery barn and my client knew his wife wanted them. So I was okay. representing husband 
And he, uh, we fought over these couches. The whole entire case was resolved. And there was quite a bit of money in this case. Wow. And this was what we were fighting over. We must have fought probably, uh, I would say probably two or three hours about couch toilets. Wow. Filling so, out at a, at a decent amount of money. So if I were coming to you and say, Amy, I, uh, I really, I, I have a fight on my hands. I, um, I want to sue someone, uh, and I'm not getting divorced, but nonetheless, um, over <laughs> some couch doilies. Uh, so how, what, what, what should I expect to pay? What would be the going rate you would tell me I would have to pay for a fight over couch doilies? <laughs> I mean, now that I'm an expert in the field, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if he could even put a price on it at this point. But you know what? It, he wanted them because his wife wanted them. Okay. So that was so that's probably one of my most favorite arguments. Wow. My favorite fights that I've had, and I've had a handful of things after that, like you know your good old fashioned ex- Xbox. Right. I fought over an Xbox. Someone ha- paid me to go to court. How about mm-hmm. dogs and, and animals? Is that a common yes. thing that people fight over? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So wow. I had a recent case that went on for quite a while, and this gentleman racked up a pretty large retainer with me um, over this dog who, by the way, was 12 years old, had a milky eye, and nobody really cared about the dog. They just didn't want the other one to have it. So we came to an agreement where these people <laughs> share custody of this dog. Wow. Wow. They, uh, you know, so how would the law work in that? Cause I have no idea if you have two people fighting over an animal, uh, does the court do what is the best interest of the animal approach? Like they would with a kid. Uh, <laughs> what is the law in that regard? So it's, it's actually really sad because in the state of New Jersey, um, a dog, you know, because your your family pet, your dog is part of your family, but it actually is a possession in the state of New Jersey. So it's not so much what's in the best interests of the dog, but it really comes down to whose dog it is. Okay, <laughs> you can let the dog. So choose. I mean, it's a it's a little sad, right? Because and you know what? You'd actually be surprised at how often I fight over a dog. I just had a case recently where two two parties were fighting over an adoptive dog. I will not name. The dog, right, right. But the dog was also older, and they also came to a sharing arrangement where they share the dog 50-50. And wow. one party, that these two parties live about four hours apart, so every <gasps> week they travel two hours each to share this dog. <laughs> now I it's can crazy. Im- wow that that is that is absurd. I, I gotta admit, visitation rights for a dog. Um, I can Three imagine days. a fight over. No, I'm not keeping the dog. You got to have the dog. Uh, I don't know how the court would handle that, but that might be more closer to my reality. Wow, fighting over an animal. Um, I guess people will fight over anything when it, when it comes to that. Any other kind of possessions that are that people fight over that's interesting or different. So again, I have my top favorites. Again, they range from. Xboxes to TVs, things that really have no sentimental value and really have no value to used furniture, which we all know has basically zero value to children's toys for children that are in their thirties. Fighting over the toys, Thomas, the tank engine toys to be exact. Now hold Um, on a second. Pause right here. I do. I want to explore this because I don't know the answer to this. Let's say they are going to fight over Thomas the Tank Engine, and I love Thomas the Tank Engine. You have a train set. I get that. That's cool. I would love to keep it. Uh, 
how does the court resolve that? I mean, there is no best interest of, of Thomas the Tank Engine. Now, with the dog, I can imagine you have some kind of courtroom scene where both the, the husband and the wife are there with their favorite dog treat, and which one is the dog going to go to? I can see that kind go of to. you know test there. But how are they going? How would a court decide Thomas the Tank Engine custody? So I will say this: ninety um, percent of my cases resolve. So it's usually. It's funny because, again, these things, whether they have some sentimental value or actual value, so a court would put an actual value to these things, a number, a monetary value, and, you know, try to offset that with something else. Most of the time, it's emotional value and the item that is being fought over. So my client ended up getting the Thomas the Tank Engine trains, but he had to give up some type of silver um set that they received when they were married obviously the silver the silverware the actual silver had more monetary value but for him he didn't care you know even though one fork in that collection was probably a hundred dollars he just wanted the train so typically people end up you know it's it's a sacrifice it's settling nobody's ever happy that's i'm like the dentist right Right, so no one's ever happy to see me and no one's ever happy when they leave oh i'm an anti-dentist there you go. And to, unless they really feel feel like they beat up on their, you know, ex or their significant other, no one's ever really happy to see me. Uh, so truly. I think the moral of that story is make sure your retainer is paid in full beforehand because afterwards they're not happy. And so you want to get make sure you're, you're, you're paid up close. So, um, and now I, here's what I have heard. Now, so I assume what you're talking about when it comes to property most of these cases, the court's going to, it's going to be resolved by the parties. They're going to come to an agreement. They're going to negotiate back and forth. And, and I guess if they can't reach an agreement, the court might just simply order the property sold. Uh, so I guess I, I, I get that when it comes to uh, do property, but I have heard when it comes to matrimonial law, there is a lot of dirty tricks that are played. Have you seen that in the industry? Here's what I'm talking about. I've had some friends uh, get divorced and they've all called me and said, Joel, because they know I'm a lawyer. They said, Joel, can you give me the name of the most ruthless divorce attorney you know of? It's like, dude, I'm friends with you and your spouse. Yeah, I I don't want to give you the name of a ruthless divorce attorney, but I've heard stories like lawyers filing for TROs, restraining orders against the other side, not because they need it, just because they think it would do well in in litigation. Have you seen tricks or games like that being played? Uh, You know, I I would be lying to you if I said no. Okay, so you are 100% correct. That is definitely... Not so much of a technique or a tactic because I don't want to, you know, downplay right. anybody's claim right. to being right. a victim of domestic violence, which I handle quite a bit of restraining order cases. Um, but yes, that does happen, right? So, you know, restraining orders in the state of New Jersey, and I don't want to bore anybody, but it's super serious. They are final. We are one of the only states in the United States that has have restraining orders that are forever final means forever until the day you die. Really? Right. Most, yes. Most States, including Florida, where I formerly practiced, as you know, um, have term limits on restraining orders, New Jersey, final restraining order forever, Wow. forever. So yeah, they're super serious. And in the state of New Jersey, you are fingerprinted, you're photographed, you're put on, 
a registry of domestic violence offenders. So unfortunately, I really, I do see a lot of leverage being put forward by someone obtaining a TRO or a temporary restraining order. It happens all the time. Wow. Well, I am glad there are good divorce attorneys out there like you in the business, uh, keeping things honest and keeping things straight. Uh, I, I'd be fascinated to hear all of your stories, but we also need to <laughs> debrief this past week in the law. So you are now McKenzie. I hope I don't call you McKenzie today, but nonetheless, um, uh, <laughs> There is there are some significant legal issues that that happened this last week, and you know we try to unpack the Supreme Court every week because we know that law is being established at the highest rungs of our judicial system, and so we we we, we only deal with the serious, and that's why, um, uh, Amy, I need you and I to to address this issue. Candace Owens v. Cardi B. Now, surely this is going to be groundbreaking lawsuit stuff, uh, and I want us to unpack this issue. Are you familiar with this uh, spat between Candace Owens and Cardi B? So, as an enormous Cardi B fan, I am. Okay, And I may have the unpopular opinion here. Well, let's unpack what happened, because apparently... Cardi B was on the Grammys recently and she did a performance that apparently did not please everyone. Uh, she has this song. I'm going to butcher it here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, it's called WAP. Now, I did not know what WAP meant. I had to Google it. And so here's a little tip for you guys out there. If you Google it, make sure you don't have filters on your computer. It might get blocked. But nonetheless, I'm not going to tell you what it stands for. Just Google it and you'll see it. But um, it would it be fair to say that on the Grammys, it was a, a, a sex scene that was being simulated on, on television, a lesbian sex scene. Is that a fair depiction? I know that's what they said on, on, on Tucker Carlson, but what is your description of what happened? Okay, so I maybe wouldn't take it as far as a lesbian sex scene, okay. but it was risque in nature and... You know, I just would like to remind America that this is not the first musical performance that has been on the side of maybe inappropriate. Okay. Uh, let's not forget, uh, granted, about 10 years ago, Britney, Madonna, and Christina Aguilera were making out. Was that 10 years and ago? And I, wow. I feel like it was about 10 years ago. Okay, I was. I thought that might have been like forty years ago, but you're, I think you're right. Uh, that is, um, you're right. This is apparently the Grammys is where these things are done, uh, and, and so this is in line with Britney Spears and, and Madonna. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if maybe that was more inappropriate. Again, that was ten years ago, and everyone was a little shocked by that, but it didn't get the feedback that the Cardi B performance is getting. Okay. And I kind of want to, I wonder why that is. Why, you know, was making out with Madonna cool, <laughs> but Cardi B performing WAP with Megan the Stallion, you know, not so cool. And I, so and I'm, I, that's kind of where I fall. And here's why I find this just hilarious. And we're going to get to uh, the different ramifications of this a little in a little bit. But I also, I first read a report about the Grammys, and that report was this. 
no one watched it. I mean, it was like the least watched award show in a long, long time. In fact, the article I read even suggested maybe we're going to stop doing award shows because no one is watching it. And then you get this controversy, and all of a sudden, everyone is watching it. Everyone is talking about it. This has to be good for business. So I don't know. Do you do these scenes because you hope to get airplay afterwards? I, I am not so sure. But I think it's probably – actually, I'm not going to say this is fair to say. I, I'll just say Tucker Carlson had Candace Owen on his show to talk about this scene. And, of course, they were all up in arms. Now, uh, Amy, you, you can't see this, but I have a little bit of tongue-in-cheek here going on. But but they were so up in arms with how horrible the scene was that they probably replayed it on their show for five straight minutes. And so I don't know why they were so upset about it and then con continue to talk about it and, re and replay it on their site. But that's what they did. And uh, and so and I, did you watch Tucker Carlson? I watched a very limited clip of what went on okay. on the Tucker Carlson show. All right. And apparently Cardi B also watched it. And so she was very happy and she said something like, yay, we made Fox news guys, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation mark, wop, wop, wop. And so she is very excited. Yeah. There is no such thing as bad publicity. Uh, but um, right. that started off this treat, this tweeting war between Candace Owen and and Cardi B and um yeah that was that was a wild tweeting uh have you ever got into a tweet exchange with someone No I haven't I mean I'm just I'm more on I'm, I'm more of a sidelines person right so when a when a war is going on in the tweeting world like President Trump I'm right. just I'm just there with the popcorn I'm just shoveling it in like yeah it's you know the more extreme the crazier yeah I but Again, Joel, you can't. I'm a divorce attorney. I live for the drama. Right, I live right, for right. it. Doesn't this this war have to feed both sides' interest? I mean, I would have to think that that Candace Owens and she, I know, has a new gig now with um uh oh uh, I forget the name of um Ben Shapiro's show, The Daily Wire. She has a new gig there, so she's needing publicity. Of course, Cardi B is trying to sell her bajillion albums. She wants publicity. <laughs> This Twitter fight has to be feeding both sides' interest. I mean, are they are they playing the American public here, or, or do you think this is real? I think they're playing the American public. I think this is all a stage. So just comparably, right? Um, I want to refer back to you said somebody's like, oh yeah, go hire this attorney because it's shark. Well, that attorney and the other attorney after the show is over between the clients, we're going back and we're having drinks. Okay. Oh, so I think, I truly think. Candace Owens and Cardi B are laughing about this and maybe like having drinks. Truly. It, it is getting a lot of airplay. Now things got a little testy here. And that's why we're mentioning this because during the middle of this tweet barrage, uh, Cardi B posted a photoshopped tweet that allegedly was given by Candace Owen, but it was not. It was photoshopped. And in this tweet, it said, again, this is Cardi B posting it about allegedly what Candace Owen tweeted herself. And this is what that tweet said. Yes, my husband did cheat on me with my brother. Yes, he said no when I asked to join them. So clearly you can I'm see sorry. that is an inflammatory tweet, right? Yes, it is. I would say it's pretty inflammatory. 
Um, but also slightly hilarious. I know it's like a 12-year-old boy humor, but I think that's kind of funny. It, it, it's so far over the top. I, I can't imagine anyone is treating this seriously. Candace Owens then responds by saying something like, are you serious? Clearly that's a Photoshop tweet. And, and Cardi B responded back by doubling down saying, no, it, it's real. I got this from your site or something to, to that extent. And this is where maybe it got off rails. I, I'm not sure. But Candace Owens then responds by saying, I just talked to my family and we are 100% behind this. We are going to sue you for defamation. Now, I got to say, just put the screeches on, put the brakes on. Now this got serious. And so is what Cardi B did, is it actually defamation? Well, at first glance, what is your thoughts? I'm thinking this is all fun and games, uh, but did this just now change nature? It, it, did this just get serious? So... My perspective is, I mean, one, as lawyers, we know the first rule for defamation is, you know, you have to have some damages, right? And right. it's not defamation defamation if it's maybe true. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> let's Listen, assume whether, it's not true. <laughs> let's assume it's not true, right? Okay. So, I don't think that that Candace Owens' brother is having sex with her husband, and then she asked to join in. I don't know. Call me I, up. I mean. Listen, we live in a crazy world. We live in in a world that's changing every day and people are more free with themselves. But again, to your point, it is probably not true. Does it rise to the level of defamation under the statute? I mean, here's the reality is how is Candace Owens proving damages? How is I mean, is this truly damaging her career, her fight with Cardi B, if anything? Well, I think you're exactly it's... right, but let, let, let's put a pause on that. Let's, let's go over the elements here. Uh, you got a false statement purporting to be a fact. We have that here, right? Let, let's assume that this is definitely a Photoshop tweet. It, it, it's false. Uh, it is purported to be a fact. Now, that actually I have an issue on. Was this actually purported to be a fact? I, it could be that Cardi B ends up defending herself by saying, no, clearly this was not purported to be a fact. We were just doing bars back and forth. No one actually took me seriously. I didn't take her seriously. Uh, I don't know if other people did, but nonetheless, and she did try to almost double down on it later. But again, these are tweets. I don't even assume what is being tweeted is true. But that's the first element. The second element is publication of that statement to third parties. Can we both kind of settle Clearly. for our listeners that a tweet is going to be a publication to a third I, party? Yeah. Uh, you, you got her there. Right. And then some amount of negligence. Now, here's the point where I got I, I to gotta draw attention to this. Um who now when it comes to a public figure like Candace Owens, you have to prove not just that you were reckless as to the truth of the matter. It, you, you it was intentional and you did it to harm Candace Owens. So there's a different standard when it comes to public figures. And if Candace Owens was bringing a defamation lawsuit on behalf of herself, then you'd have to prove actual knowledge that this statement was untrue and that you did it with some kind of intent to harm her. All right, we're going to come back to that point here in just a bit. The last element here is damages. And so would this, did this actually damage the person? Now, there is an element of damages per se, and certain things can be so damaging to a person that you don't have to prove damages. It's considered damages per se, and that would include crimes of moral turpitude and someone being unchaste. And so... Uh, Amy, I'm just going to uh, uh, unpack this here for us and see if you agree with me. 
Candace Owen is not going to have a case here. Uh, she's a public figure. She, uh, this is public figures can defend themselves. They can handle themselves. And so this is just two public figures going back and forth. The law kind of assumes amongst public figures, we'll just let them duke it out. They don't need to go to court and, and resolve their matters. All right. Do you, you, you agree with that much so far? I absolutely agree with you a hundred percent so far. Here's the problem. The brother is not. That's where I think this case gets interesting. The best I can tell, the, the brother has never held himself out as a public figure. Uh, he's, he's not in the limelight like Candace Owens. Uh, he's just a private citizen trying to live his life. And now Cardi B is publishing information to the whole world that he had an affair with Candace Owens' husband. I think that's problematic. I think the brother might have a claim. Uh, now, luckily, she didn't identify the brother's name, but I'm not sure that's going to be a valid defense. But I don't know. Does that, does that change your thoughts now? As far uh, analyzing this from the perspective of the brother. So I'm going to stick with my original position here. And again, I might have the unpopular opinion, but I'm going to rep my girl Cardi B all, right. all the way to the end here. I. I agree with you that he may be in his capacity as a private citizen, but how did this hurt him, Joel? How How is this hurting him, right? What are his damages? And like I said, to the same point, I don't know. Listen, it maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. How do we know? How would we know, right? And, and Cardi B, she puts it out there as a joke. What's the difference between this satire and maybe uh, your mama joke? Right, I don't right. Know. That is a good I'm point. Just going off that point. And I think that these two people just going back and forth on Twitter, it's, it possibly could be perceived as this isn't real. I mean, come on. Donald Trump tweeted all the time. No one assumed what he said was true. They just assumed it was just Donald Trump tweeting. There is a certain element well, of... Some people still... assumed he was true. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, <laughs> there might be some people out there that, that actually believed it. To your point on damages, there, there's an interesting case the Supreme Court decided a couple of weeks ago. I'm not even going to attempt to to read the name of the case. It's so hard for me to read the, the, that kind of name. But nonetheless, it dealt with, can you sue someone if, can you have a lawsuit in court when the only thing you are seeking is $1? And that was the only issue in this case was, I'm suing you for $1. Is that enough to bother the court's time? And, and so during oral argument at the Supreme Court, I believe it was Kagan, might have been Sotomayor, who, who made the comparison of, well, wait a second, I know that uh, Taylor Swift filed a lawsuit based upon sexual harassment or uh, assault um, where she, she told the jury, I'm only seeking $1. And so might this be that same type of case where where they bring this lawsuit, but they say, well, look, jury, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we're only seeking $1. Now you might be saying, well, why would they do that? Well, if the point here is publicity, that's exactly why they would do it. They, the longer this is in the news, the more both sides actually benefit from the increased publicity. I, any thoughts on that um, uh, strategy? So I definitely think that's all this is. It is a publicity stunt. And just to, you know, occupying the court's time, a jury's time. I'm sorry. Have you ever been called to be on a jury? That is an enormous undertaking for somebody like you and I, who 
I don't know, goes to work every day right. to sue somebody for a dollar to make a point. <laughs> I, know. I, I I'm sorry. I think that is disgraceful. That is disgraceful. That is so, and I don't get me wrong. I love my girl Taylor Swift too. All but right, I ask that. All to right. the same point, I do. I love my girl Taylor Swift. I think she's amazing. But to occupy judicial time to make a point that is, I, I don't know. I guess that creates the conundrum of what is the legal system for? Is it to 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 gain publicity? Is it for right. a spectacle? Is it to make a point? Is it for a punishment? And what is an adequate punishment for something like this? Right? What is adequate retribution for Cardi B? You know, asserting that Candace. Owen's brother and husband are getting jiggy with each other. (laughs) You know, what is, I mean, if anything, everyone's being rewarded here, whether she, you know, whether the brother brings a defamation lawsuit or not pending that he can prove actual damages. Like, did he get fired from his job? And just on another note, the woman, the creator of the song WAP, go ahead, please, please explain to her the concept of something being unchaste. (laughs) I would love to see that one. Okay. Would she even know what that meant? Okay, that's a mic drop moment right there. I'm going to have to pick myself back up off the Thank floor. You. But I think that is a I great, great observation there. Uh, so, all right, well, the, again, we'll have to see. By the way, the case at the Supreme Court ruled on uh, a couple weeks ago about the $1 case, it was an 8-to-1 decision. The only dissenting justice was the Chief Justice uh, John Roberts. All the other eight justices said, yes, you can file a suit for $1. Uh, and, but I agree with you. It's like... Really? So we're going to burden the court's time over cases involving $1, but we'll have to see how that actually plays out over the next several years. Congress can always change that law uh, and and not allow for nominal damages claims. All right. Let's move on now to our next issue that happened. That's a a big issue in law right now, and that is this. Uh, uh, We all know the Supreme Court has only nine justices, and uh, uh, that's been a hot topic in this recent uh, campaign. Should there be court packing? Because any change in the the composition of the court could drastically change the, the, the outcome of these cases. So the issue of when should someone retire... That's a big deal. And right now there are nine justices and there are three there are three consistent liberal votes on the Supreme Court. Uh, you got Breyer, you got Sotomayor, and, and Kagan. I'll say Breyer and Kagan I think are more moderates than liberals, but nonetheless, that's how they are viewed. There, there are three on the liberal side. The issue is, should... Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, he's the oldest justice now in the Supreme Court, he's 82 years old, I believe, should he step down and retire now that there's a Democrat in the White House and the Democrats have control over the Senate? And so, uh, any thoughts? Do you think the Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer should step down and retire? So, I may, I will not say what political side I am on, okay? Right. That's, that's first and foremost here, because uh, quite honestly— could be a little, could be bad for uh, you know my career. People don't want right. to talk politics with me, so I'll, I'll stay off that, and I won't say which side I'm on. But I will say I will. I am going to have the unpopular opinion, even though I think by the end of this conversation you probably could tell which side I lean on. Right. But I don't think he should retire. I don't think he should retire, and it's it's more of like a a personal view almost about his 
his service, I guess. And it's really it being up to him, right? Like, I understand the push from the Liberal Party at this point because absolutely right, you know, to get somebody in there, why Biden's president, to kind of even out. But even but even if Breyer retired tomorrow, it would not change the landscape of the Supreme Court. True. Even getting in another liberal judge would not change anything right now, right. I don't think. And it, I think it should right. be up to Justice Breyer. Now, let me give you two stories yeah. to kind of get some context here. The first one is I remember teaching a class I think it's 2014, and we were having a discussion in that class. I was teaching a bunch of lawyers. It's a continuing education class for lawyers. We're talking about the Supreme Court, and the big rumor was, should RBG step down and retire? Uh, it was a close five to four composition of the court. Actually, then it was four, four, and one because uh, you had Kennedy in the middle. And the big issue is Obama's in the White House. The Democrats have control over the Senate. Should RBG step down and retire? And she met with several people to find out, Shit, what should I do? And she decided... No, I, I'm going to stay here. Uh, I don't really think that we're going to lose. Democrats are going to lose control of the White House uh, in another two years. And so she thought, Look, no one's better than me anyways. And they're not going to be able to push an, uh, a justice that's more progressive than me through the, the, the confirmation proceedings. And so she stayed on the bench. Of course, we know what happened. She ended up passing away when Trump was in the White House and they replaced her with uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Now, uh, we don't know yet. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett, she's going to be liberal or conservative on the court. Most people are predicting she'll be a lot more conservative than than uh, RBG. Uh, but, you know, um, that, that happened. Because she did not step down and retire then, she was replaced by someone from the opposite party. And so that obviously might impact it a little bit. I want to go back even further, though, in history. Uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Thurgood Marshall. He did not step down and retire. They, there was some pressure on him to retire. He did not retire. What ended up happening was he ended up passing away while he while uh, he was uh, on the court. And so he passed away when I believe Bush was president, and Bush appointed Clarence Thomas to replace him. So the out out from the, the court went the most liberal justice as far as voting records, and it was replaced by an extremely conservative justice. And so these decisions, when to retire, when not to retire, can radically impact the balance of the court. But you, you would still say, Breyer, stay, on, stay in your job. <laughs> I still say, Breyer, stay in your job. I still, again... My opinion is really based on the landscape as it stands now, right? So even if Breyer was to retire or step down and Biden appointed, he he made it very clear he was going to appoint the first uh, African-American female right. uh, Supreme Court justice and go Joe, okay? That's an admirable and a very forethought you know, idea and I love it. And it's amazing that we've come this far and I'm super for it, but to the same token, you know, isn't it six in one hand and half a dozen in the other, maybe at some point, like we don't really know what, what Amy Cohen Barrett's going to do yet. Right. And just to the, you know, just to the past several months, you know, Trump did appoint her, you know, I don't know what the, the overall goal was, I'm sure it was to stack the Supreme Court in his favor, yet he was still unsuccessful bringing forth lawsuits. Right. So I'm not 
I'm not so convinced that Breyer stepping down is going to be more favorable to the liberals or the Democrats right now. I'm just, I'm not so convinced that it's going to be helpful in whatever overall goal, you know, that political party is trying to achieve, whether it's to stack it again, to be more even. Right. I just, I'm not really sure where, where people are going to stand. I mean, you know, you can always count on certain justices to kind of lean one way, but at this point, I think, too many things are up in the air, and I think it Breyer should remain to kind of maybe see where things are going to even out. And Biden's got a couple, you know, he's got three more years, three and a half, you know, almost four more, you know, somewhere in between there to kind of make these decisions, right? Because quite honestly, I think once Biden's term term is up, I think we might be going back to Trump, but. I'll leave that opinion to the side for now. Yeah, my my opinion on that is Biden, is, the next president is going to be um, uh, Harris. It's going to happen within the next four years. That's my prediction, and I'm going to stand by it. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, yes, that's obviously an interesting topic. When uh, when should Biden step down and should he step down now and be replaced? I kind of agree with you that I, I don't think he should step down and retire because I don't think we have a conservative court. I, I think we have a Supreme Court that is going to surprise and disappoint a lot of conservatives and it's going to surprise a lot of liberals about how non-conservative this court is. If you have any reason, if you're wondering why I'm saying that, look at the Chief Justice John Roberts. He was appointed as a radical conservative. You would be hard-pressed to find a a conservative now who's pleased with the Chief Justice's opinions. They are very concerned about their reputation, and they know the talk right now about court packing, and they're very cognizant of that. And just like in 1932, you saw some decisions, a switch in time save nine, you're going to see the court being very cognizant of that the controversy right now with their rulings. All right, well, let's uh, one last topic I want us to address here before we wrap up today, uh, this week's debriefing of the law. Zoom court. And I, and I, I understand, um, Amy, you've had a lot of Zoom court appearances. I have had, since March 13th of 2020, I have had consistent Zoom trials. And Zoom court appearances probably no less than two to three times a month. Really? Since this is for a year now. Yes. Now, how is that? I actually just got noticed today about I have an oral argument that's going to be done via Zoom in a case. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very curious. Is, is this going to be the, the similar to what I, I've experienced before? Well, what, what is your opinion on Zoom court appearances? So my opinion is first and foremost, and this is going to be actually very shocking, any, so video appearances and telephonic appearances, it makes lawyers more polite. And I don't, it's kind of funny. Yeah. It it makes, I think it's making everyone a little bit more polite. And the reason I say that is because when you're appearing by video or some kind of telephonic appearance, everyone can't be talking over each other because you're counting on the court reporter to pick up what you're saying to make your record. So it actually creates this dynamic that you, you get to finish a a thought without an objection or without somebody interrupting. It's, it hasn't been terrible. I'm not in love with it. I'm a litigator. So I want to be in the courtroom, but I will say that it has made lawyers 
more polite to each other, which is shocking in my field. Now, it's done that. Uh, that's a very astute observation. It's also made people aware of certain lawyers, how do I say this, uh, computer technological uh, um, prowess, <laughs> right? Yeah, I assume you heard of the one yeah. where the lawyer appeared in court as a kitten. Did, did you hear about that story? I love that story. We, anytime we're having a bad day, um, in my firm, we play that video to make us laugh. It is amazing. I think the most popular phrase of 2020 is you're on mute. You need to unmute yourself. It's down in the left-hand corner. It, it has been brutal. I will say that for some lawyers that are technologically, not as advanced, right? Challenged. Um, but I give it to the court. Yeah. I challenge, right. I'll say challenge. I mean, me, I'm, you know, I'm in my thirties. <laughs> so for me, it's a little easier as opposed to my opposing counsel who may be in their seventies. Oh, um, I, I shouldn't even but joke I give it about to the this. Court. I should not joke about this because I, I have done this way too many times where after a break, I'll, I'll come back and I'll teach my, my online continuing education class for lawyers and I forget to unmute myself. And so my wife is running down here saying, Joel, you're on mute, you're on mute. And so what I do now is I put a red solo cup over my mic whenever... I'm on mute. And that way I know if that red solo cup is on my mic, I need to take the mute off. Uh, but nonetheless, um, that is yeah, I should not so make fun. clever. I should very creative. Fun. I like that. But uh, the, the there was a very recent Zoom court appearance that kind of caught people's attention. It was in California, and this California plastic surgeon had a traffic trial, and, and so he had scheduled his trial, and he had his camera set up. In the surgery room. Did, did, did you catch that? I mean, he was actually doing surgery while trial was going on. I've heard of multitasking. This has got to take the cake. Uh, that does take the cake, and I think it's amazing. I think it's, it is incredible. I, You know, it's funny because for me, um, I have no qualms about just being dressed from the waist up when I'm on Zoom <laughs> right, trial. The waist right. down? is yoga pants. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. So if my clients see me over zoom, the bottom half is yoga pants and slippers, but I absolutely give it to this surgeon. I think that is incredible. And I did, um, get a chance to view the video where the surgeons, you know, he's insisting, he's like, no, we'll, we'll just proceed. You know, yeah. at least he didn't appear as a cat. I know. To be fair. Can you imagine? I don't, he must not have realized that these proceedings are going to be recorded and, and made available to the public because surely the, the patient there would not have been too happy if the, I don't know what procedure was going on, but let's say it was a nose reduction or something. And let's say the surgeon messed up. Yeah, that, that surgeon is going to be in trouble. How is he going to explain a way that in the middle of the procedure, he had a, a he was on a Zoom uh, court appearance? I, that's got not that cannot be the best scenario for a successful defense if there was any malpractice that that took place. All right, well, Amy, I absolutely agree with you from a legal standpoint that uh, was probably not the smartest idea on behalf of the surgeon. But again, I, I loved it. I, I completely enjoyed it. Well, Amy, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today and offering your insight as to what happened in the world of law. And best of luck there up there in New Jersey and say hi to the other cast members of Jersey Shore. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Joel. I had a wonderful time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. Mm-hmm.